Hello, my Rebels. Today, I recap the last month of the Trucker Commissioner of Inquiry with, with four amazing women. All four of them happen to be women. Eva Chipiak, the lawyer who grilled the Prime Minister, Sheila Gunn-Reed, our chief reporter, Celine Glass, and Alexa Lavoie, two young reporters who really made their mark during the trucker convoy in the spring. And they're back with us now. It's a great show. I'd like to encourage you to get the video version of this podcast. I want you to see Eva cross-examining Justin Trudeau. It, it really is... I, I was really pleased with that. I, uh, you know, there were different kinds of cross-examination of him. Some were technical, some were legal. I think Eva's points were moral and emotional, and I think they connected. To see the video part, go to rebelnewsplus.com. That's the video version of this podcast. It's eight bucks a month, but you get my show every weeknight. I think it's good value for money. It's the only place you're going to get this kind of news and reviews. Go to rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's podcast. The fireworks are over at the Trucker Commission, but actually, the hard work is just beginning. We'll talk to four people who know. It's November 28th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. trucker convoy was one of the most important things that has happened to Canada, not just this year, but I'd say in the past decade, obviously the pandemic and the lockdowns were the event of the, I don't know, the half century, but how that fever was broken, how that collusion and that false unanimity that lockdowns were good and forced vaccine mandates were good, how that ended actually is the best part of the story. It didn't end because of any one political party or media company or any judge or doctor. It ended because ordinary, very ordinary, very working class people decided, well, if the fancy people weren't going to stop this madness, they would. And truckers, the salt of the earth, the backbone of the country, people who never stopped worrying during, working during the lockdown. In fact, their work became more essential as the Zoom class, the staycation class just stayed at home and ordered food delivered to them while the truckers became more important than ever. And of course, they became the target for Justin Trudeau, who demanded that they too be vaxxed for crossing the border. It makes no sense other than a lifeguard, sorry, rather a lighthouse operator in a remote coast. I can't think of anyone who has a more solitary day than a trucker. They're in a cab by themselves. They pop, they stop by for gas. They often sleep in the back of their car. Imagine demanding that truckers get jabbed. Well, that was the last straw and they stood up and spoke up and the thing is, that did not suit the fancy people one bit. All that honking, all that diesel fuel. Don't these people know that Canada is about electric vehicles and honking is, well, it's a form of microaggression, don't you know? I'm not kidding. These were the uh, complaints made at the Trucker Commission of Inquiry by Ottawa bureaucrats who were outraged that the peasants from the colonies dared come to the fancy capital. Well, the Commission of Inquiry, I thought, was very useful, even though it wasn't perfect in the eyes of the truckers or those who care about freedom. I think it was the best thing that we've had in Canada in terms of holding government to account in some way. Tell me the last time question period yielded any answers, let alone some of the ones we've seen. No access to information requests yielded the kind of documents, the text messages, the cabinet memos that we were able to see over the past few weeks. 
It was the first time I've seen police chiefs answer bluntly to reply to the disinformation campaign that Trudeau and his colonized media have propagated. I think that that's my point of view because I actually watched the Trucker Commission. What scares me, though, is the same media party that lied about the trucker convoy in the first place, continues to lie. They're trying to revise history using the trucker commission. We really are, as Eva Chibiak tells me in today's show, watching two different movies. Those of us who care about freedom and civil liberties see the admissions that the government had no justification whatsoever for martial law. But those on the other side saw nothing but potential terrorists. You'll see that word quite a lot in Justin Trudeau's comments. There was no violence, just Potential violence. No one was hurt, just it potentially hurt them. Well, of course, some people were hurt, but they were the protesters being hurt by Trudeau's invocation of martial law and the bullying police. So what I'm going to show you today is something I actually recorded earlier in the day. As you may know, that we have covered the Trucker Commission wall-to-wall for the last month. We even set up a pop-up studio in an Airbnb in downtown Ottawa. I thought that was a great thing we did. So many people on our team worked there. Some people stayed there for weeks. Others just rotated through. William Diaz-Berthiome, our on-the-ground Ottawa reporter, was there pretty much every day. Sheila Gunn-Reed was live-tweeting it almost every day as well. And at, we had video clips we would cut, and of course we would have a live stream every night where we would chat about it. So in today's show, we did a, a live stream early in the day where I talked to Ava Chipiak. She's one of the lawyers for the truckers. In fact, she had time to cross-examine Justin Trudeau. We'll show some clips and we'll talk to her about it. We'll bring on Sheila, who I think covered the Trucker Commission more than anyone else in our team, even though she wasn't in Ottawa for all that time. One of the great things about the Commission of Inquiry is that so much of it was available online, not just the live stream of the video in English and French, but documents published too. It really was excellent. And then the transcripts of it, they really did a good job. I, I hate praising the government. It's so unlike me, but remember, this wasn't the government. This was the fail-safe, a kind of freedom poison pill built in to the Emergencies Act. This had to be done. Don't let Justin Trudeau take credit for it. We also talked to two of our newer reporters, Celine Glass, who was embedded with the trucker convoy from Calgary to Ottawa. She spent the last few weeks in Ottawa at our Trucker Commission Airbnb studio. And Alexa Lavoie, who was in, Mon- in Ottawa as well. And I have a heart-to-heart with her about being the one person in Ottawa during the whole time who was shot. Indeed, there was violence in Ottawa, but it did not come from the truckers. And actually, it wasn't in the main directed against the truckers, at least the shooting. It was directed against Alexa Lavoie. The police who shot her knew who she was. We know this because of records we've received in the lawsuit against them. They knew who she was, and they refused to give her first aid after shooting her. Enough preamble. Let me now run for you part of my live stream earlier today with Eva Chipiak, And we're going to show about three or four clips of her talking to the prime minister and trying to coax answers from him. Then Sheila, Celine, and Alexa. And that part with Alexa is hard to watch. It's hard to watch the worst moment in our company's almost eight-year history is when Alexa was shot with a riot gun at point-blank range by a policeman who knew exactly what he was doing. Here's my live stream from today. Come right back at the end, and I'll read my mail. Take a look.
Good to see you again. How you doing? Oh, nice to see you. Nice to be home. A little bit tired, but uh, just the beginning, I think. Yeah, well, we just wrapped up the public hearings, as in the sworn witnesses and the subpoenaed documents and the cross-examinations, but the Trucker Commission is not yet done. There's going to be a public policy phase and and other things, but the drama uh, of the last month has come to a close. Eva, you were one of a number of lawyers from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom and other freedom-oriented groups, including our friends at the Democracy Fund, um, how long was it? I mean, you were out there, uh, half of the civil liberties lawyers in Canada, by which I mean Democracy Fund, JCCF, Canadian Constitution Foundation, and even the liberals at the Canadian Civil Liberties Association finally thought they'd wrap up their two-year vacation and uh, and engage in the freedom file, thankfully. Uh, tell me what it was like actually being a lawyer associated with the commission. You were granted standing. You were given access, early access to privileged documents. You were given interactions with the judge. And, of course, you cross-examined witnesses. What was it like? Uh, I don't know where to start. I, I can't believe it's all come to an end. It feels like it, it just started and then it it was just a daily grind. It was 31 days nonstop of evidence. And, you know, when we are having long days like we did, and then you're still preparing for the next day. And of course, my clients were a, a huge focal point in all of this. Um, the protesters, the reason uh, everything came to head as these protesters came to Ottawa to hear from their federal government, and we know how the federal government responded. So this was all about whether or not this was justified. Um, you asked a few questions and quickly in the intro, and I, you know, getting all these documents, like you said, we did. But the the way this was set up and how quickly this all transpired, it was hard almost to assess everything that was happening as it was happening. I think I'll be decompressing and we're all going to be thinking about this for months and possibly years to come. Hmm. Um, let me ask you, do you think it was, I mean, we, we'll, we'll see what the report says. We'll see what the judge's findings are and what any recommendations are. So, of course, we don't know how it's going to end. I mean, it, it could go a number of ways. But the process itself is an outcome, a sort of outcome, having police answer questions under oath. And I think generally the police told the truth, having politicians under oath. And I frankly think generally the politicians lied. I'm sorry. I just that's just what it looked like to me. Lied or at least uh, evaded, avoided, um, talked out the clock. I suppose that's different than lying, but there was lying too. I think in general, the process was positive and anyone who looked at it uh, directly or through the filter of rebel news or other freedom oriented groups probably learned a lot, but there really are two solitudes reading the coverage in the Toronto star or the CBC or global news, which has just become the worst media outlet in the country. It's hard to believe. Um, they're engaging in revisionist history of this trucker commission just like they engaged yeah. in revisionist history of the trucker convoy itself. So although I think the trucker commission was very useful, if your only source of info about it was the Toronto Star or Global News, you remain in the dark about what was really happening. That's my thoughts. What do you think? 
Yeah, no, it's unfortunately still the same. Um, people are watching two different movies, and that's how it was since the beginning of the protest in Ottawa. Truckers going to Ottawa, if you looked at some of those um, mainstream media outlets you were talking about versus social media, it was a completely different story. And then it unfortunately still the same. So what we've learned, I hope, is that you really need to get first-hand information, number one, be way more involved, be way more active, really investigate things for yourself. And I really hope at least that is something that people have learned throughout the process. And it, I, I agree with you very much. It was really interesting to see um, the police give evidence and also senior officials. So not the politicians, but senior levels in government, at least on a municipal scale, it was quite different to see what they had to say. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, uh, we have a half dozen clips of your own involvement, and I'd like to show that. Uh, like I say, you were granted standing, uh, you and other civil liberties lawyers. So there were a lot of lawyers there, and sometimes the cross-examination of politicians or police was, you know, you had five minutes or ten minutes. And frankly, <laughs> you ask one question for a minute. <laughs> Every politician worth their salt can give a four-minute evasive maneuver. Um, let's let's go through. We've got a, we've got a half dozen clips. Let's just belt through them. The first one was when you were asking Justin Trudeau, the prime minister. That must have been exciting. First of all, that you you uh, not every lawyer had a chance to have a go at Trudeau. You asked him. I think questions. I mean, you sort of knew he was just going to duck speak his way through things. So you put more thematic questions, less sort of legal cross examine things. Here, let's show the first clip and I'll show people what I mean. People have testified in this inquiry referencing your widely published comments and calling the unvaccinated racists and misogynists. And we have heard testimony in this inquiry about how some of your officials wanted to label protesters as terrorists. Would you agree with me that one of the most important roles of a prime minister is to unite Canadians and not divide them by engaging in name calling. Uh, I did not call people who were unvaccinated names. I highlighted there is a difference between people who are hesitant to get vaccinated for any range of reasons and people who deliberately spread misinformation that puts at risk the life and health of their fellow Canadians. And well, my focus every step of the way and the primary responsibility of a prime minister is to keep Canadians safe and alive. I'm not sure if the primary job of the prime minister is to keep me alive. I think if that was his job, I'd be dead by now. Um, he's really not good for much. Uh, even being a substitute drama teacher, he didn't finish his full term. Um, He's a wicked liar. Of course he called people names in English and in French. Uh, he even asked, said, should we tolerate them? I, um, I think you've got to be a bit of a sociopath to tell a bald-faced lie like that. Uh, your next one, again, it, it, it didn't go to the technical legal matters of the Emergency Act, but I think it, it summed up um, their insane response to, oh my God, working class people, they're so grubby and dirty. Maybe they have guns in their trucks. 
uh, deploy the tanks. These people, you know, here in King's Landing, we only have sophisticated people with fine silk suits and expense accounts for lunch. Here come the Walmart people. Here come the gun-owning people. Uh, the peasants are storming the capital. Um, you know, Trudeau despises ordinary people. He's a, a, an elite son of an elite son of an elite. Um, three generations since the last Trudeau actually worked for a living. And here's your question. Why are you so afraid of people? Here, take a look. Minister Blair, Public Safety Minister, Minister Mendicino, National Security Intelligence Advisor Jody Thomas, and RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky, and today you testified that the federal government was committed to exhausting all alternatives to a resolution prior to making a decision to invoke the extraordinary powers of the Emergencies Act. Do you agree that that accurately describes your government's position? That the invocation of the Emergencies Act was a measure of last resort, was not something to be taken lightly. Thank you. And something to do when, when uh, other options uh, were not effective. And you are aware that the OPP, along with others, developed an engagement proposal and you were advised of that proposal at the IRG meeting on February 12th, correct? Um, it was a proposal, but we had, and it was presented to us, we had more questions uh, about uh, how it would actually work. Uh, there, it was not a complete proposal. My last question, Mr. Prime Minister, when did you and your government start to become so afraid of your own citizens? That's a very I unfair. I am not, and we are not. Those are my questions. I think he is. Uh, I think he is afraid of people. He deployed. They, they talked about deploying the army. They, did, they talked about tanks. They deployed hundreds, maybe thousands, of riot police. They stomped people with riot horses. They invoked martial law for the first time in fifty years. Of course, he was afraid of people. I think he was actually more, to be precise, he was afraid of what the people were doing. Uh, that they were politically finding their voice. I don't think he was afraid of them physically. I don't think he was afraid of them. You know. Right. Um, as a danger to sovereignty. Like like the Emergencies Act is built for when the prime minister is afraid. Are you afraid of danger to groups of people? Are you afraid of revolution? It is uh, for prime ministers who are afraid for the country. I don't think Justin Trudeau was actually afraid for the country. I don't think he was afraid of an insurrection. He was afraid that these working class people were embarrassing him because they weren't obeying him. So he was afraid of losing face, not afraid of them. I very much agree, and his own evidence says that. He said there was a threat or a potential for the violence. Mm. So he confirmed in his own evidence there was no violence. There was a potential for it. Of course, there's a potential for violence any day, any anywhere you are. And then if you heard Christia Freeland's evidence, too, somebody was mean to her. They weren't violent towards her. Yeah. They said mean things to her and maybe an expletive um, body language. And it was a woman trucker all, all, in addition. Yeah. So um, when you hear the evidence that they were giving, it goes exactly to your point. There, it, it was an embarrassment for them more so and a threat of um, losing control, which they did. Yeah. Clearly. You know, I want to get through a few more clips. He had some great little exchanges with him. Here's one <laughs> where Trudeau says, I wish I would have done more. Well, what more was there? I mean, he actually shot our reporter, um, Alexa Lavoie. His bodyguards physically beat up our other reporter, David Menzies. Uh, I mean, the only thing that they did not do was actually deploy the tank, though they certainly seem to talk about the Canadian Armed Forces a lot. Let's play clip number three. 
you have now heard the statements from some of the many concerned Canadians who felt compelled to support the protesters. Do you now understand the reason so many Canadians came to Ottawa with such resolve in the midst of a harsh, cold Canadian winter because of the harms caused by your government COVID mandates and they wanted to be heard? I am moved, uh, and I was moved, as I heard uh, these testimonies, as I saw the depth of um, hurt and anxiety about the present and the future expressed by so many people. The COVID pandemic was unbelievably difficult on all Canadians. And my job throughout this pandemic was to keep Canadians safe. And the way that I chose to do that was to lean on public health officials, lean on experts and science on the best way to keep Canadians safe. And because Canadians got vaccinated to over 80%, we had fewer deaths in Canada than places that didn't reach that. And every heartbreaking story I hear of a family who sat beside the bed of a loved one dying because they had believed that the vaccines were more dangerous than the disease, I take personally because I wish I could have done more and, and to I convince don't people to, to, cut to you get off. vaccinated. But I wish I could have done more to save lives. I saved so many lives. Of course, that doesn't talk to the use of the martial law. I don't know if martial law yeah. would save one life. I, I don't know if it would save any lives. I think, um, you know, you could shoot more people eat more easily. You can deploy more guns. Um, I, I think he's a sociopath. Um, I don't know. What, what did he make of him? He's got that, when he starts talking, his sexy voice. And he hopes that people can feel the raw emotion of the substitute drama teacher and this is an opportunity for us to all reflect on being women respecters and respecting visible minorities and this is an opportunity for you to learn not to wear blackface this is an opportunity for you to learn not to grope rose knight in creston bc this is really an opportunity for all canadians to improve themselves like like he just gets in this drama teacher mode and he changes from being the decider who made a terrible decision to like some third party observer as if he's not the central decider. He has this really gross way of doing things and it seems to work. For seven years he's skated. I'm worried, Ava. Is it Ava or Eva? I, I like saying Ava, but how do you say it? It's Eva. Eva, sorry about that. <laughs> Eva, um, I'm worried he's gonna skate. I'm worried that that dramatic thespian voice of his and the, the media party, they just, they're lapping it up. I, I'm worried that no matter what the judge is, I think the judge is going to say he had no legal basis for it. I think the judge, unless this judge is so completely in the tank for Trudeau, there simply was no evidence that this met the, the legal requirement for Marshall. Just there was none. There was none. none. Every none. cop, every, every person who knows security, like there was no security threat. There were no violence threats. There was just none of it. The, all he has was, well, there was a potential. I don't think 
the judge is going to come back with anything other than there was no legal basis for it. But I think Trudeau's going to skate because he's going to roll out his heartfelt message track like he just did there, Ava. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. It Like watching it back now, um, I didn't imagine that he would go on a tangent like that, but I guess I should have seen it coming. What else was he going to say? And and we knew that this was just for him. To, he was going to be trying to score political points. Like it wasn't going to be about the law because that's not something that he's really qualified to speak on anyway. Um, but I do hope that the commission, like we were talking about earlier, is an opportunity to for people to see firsthand what was going on. And maybe they can start to see the disconnect between this government and what they're doing and their talking points and reality. It was very much um, fiction over facts, in my opinion. Feelings over facts is what we learned the reasons behind invoking the Emergencies Act. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, most of the media in this country is very feelings-oriented, and they're feeling grateful to Trudeau for bailing out their failing TV stations, radio stations, and newspapers. So uh, they're all about feelings also, and and Trudeau makes them feel warm and fuzzy. Eva, I'm grateful to you and your fellow lawyers. There was some great lawyering done. I really believe that if the freedom lawyers that you and the rest of the team from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, if the freedom lawyers and the Democracy Fund were not there, this would have been a very, very different commission. Um, it really would have not had so many important interactions with with the, the, the national security deep state, which is very rarely subjected to scrutiny. So on behalf of Canadians, let me thank you and your team for that. Eva, great to catch up with you. And thanks for joining our live stream so many uh, days over the last month as you and the rest of your team did. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was great to be on and getting the truth out. So happy to and so happy to be part of the team. Sheila, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm sort of happy that the testimony is all over, you know, trying to sift through the lies can be exhausting, but I'm so proud of our team for how hard they worked to fact check some of these snakes in real time. Yeah. Uh, now, you covered it probably more than anyone other than um, William Diaz Berthiom, who's based in Ottawa. So he's right there. This was the circus coming to his town. We had a number of re reporters who cycled through our Airbnb pop-up studio, which was super fun. You covered it from out there, but mainly you covered it from your home. Because one of the things I'll, I'll salute this commission for doing, they really made it easy for people around yeah. the country, indeed around the world, to follow. Uh, I've actually never seen a public proceeding that was so citizen friendly. Documents were made available online. The video was live streamed, French, English. Like you could show up and be in the room, but frankly, there was no need to. And in fact, there were some times when the, the physical room wasn't even full, bec not because there was no interest in this, but because people could cover this from the comfort of their own offices or, or homes, right? Yeah, and I think the public nature of all of this is really doing a number on the mainstream media as though the convoy didn't do a number on the credibility of the mainstream media to begin with, right? Um, they couldn't come out of their office towers to talk to the truckers that were in Ottawa to find out why they came there. So they just sort of made it up as they went. And I think the fact that this was live streamed in real time, in both languages, the documents, as soon as the lawyers were discussing them, became available for you to leaf through. You could see how the media was purposefully twisting testimony again 
in real time. I would see the tweets the mainstream media were sending out and realizing, you no, know, I'm I'm literally watching the same proceedings and they're taking things out of context. But people didn't even have to believe me and my tweets this time. They could see for themselves just how much of a bunch of liars the mainstream media are. Yeah, you know what? And that's what that's how we succeeded. Rebel News, I think really it was our our finest hour covering the trucker convoy. We had more eyeballs on that than anything else we've ever done. And it was simply because we turned our cameras on and pointed. And I mean, I I was in Ottawa for only a few days. I was most of my time at our head office. But we had teams, I think in particular, Alexa Lavoie and Lincoln J, 23 days straight, just walking the streets with extra batteries in their phone, just live streaming. And sometimes it was sort of boring, but sometimes it was extremely exciting. But what it never was, was filtered. And so you literally felt like you were there. Uh, I remember watching our people encounter these whimsical East Berlin-style police check stops every corner and filming their interactions. Oh, boy, was I mad. Sometimes I would call in to the reporter also if I felt <laughs> they, were, they were being legally roughed up. But the reason I could do that is I knew exactly what was going on. I had a personal interest because it was our reporters, our company, but Millions of people had a public interest, and they were following along too. And it's interesting that when foreign news uh, outlets wanted to know what was going on, sure, the propagandists called up CBC, of course. But so many, and I'm not just talking about right-wing media like Fox News, like no, Deutsche Welle. Deutsche Welle, as the name sounds, it's a German, it's actually a state mm -hmm. uh, broadcaster, if you can believe it. Why would a state broadcaster in Germany... Why would Sky News in Australia, why would, um, yeah. I think I, I, Alexa did the French language state broadcaster also, if I recall correctly. Good memory. There's so many I can't even keep track. But why would they, I, I mean, there was this great one of Lincoln just standing in the street, you know, with this toucan because it was so cold, live, live broadcasting from the street. Well, that gives you the answer why. Because even if Lincoln is not as seasoned, a journalist is some of these superannuated, you know, regime journalists at the CBC. He actually was standing there. He actually mm. wasn't hiding under his desk in his uh, tower. Oh, my God, the peasants are coming. The peasants are revolting. Who? Oh, they most certainly are. The truckers are revolting. Oh, they certainly are revolting. You know, I mean, the, this, I, I, I watched too much of that show called Game of Thrones, and the name of their capital city was King's Landing. And it was a squalid, corrupt, incestuous capital. And, and that's what the good denizens of Ottawa felt like when these revolting truckers, how dare they? Can't you keep your protest out, out in the colonies? Why are you coming to King's Landing? You know, that's what it was like. And, yep. uh, and you, you know, the very first day of the commission, you had this low-level government bureaucrat named Zexy Lee who was – who was talking about all the microaggressions that I worked for the government and there was these truckers and they honked and I really felt like I was assaulted. Oh my God, Zexy, were you assaulted? No, but I sort of felt like it. Well, did anyone touch yeah. you? No. Well, were you afraid to go on the streets? Well, no, actually I spent a lot of time out there and took a lot of photos and filmed them and talked to people, but I was terrified. Yeah. Oh, so you just thought they were low class because they were truckers, not someone with a fancy government unionized, uh, you know, desk job doing 
IT for Services Canada or whatever her job was. Like it, it was such a classism. Thank there. you. How dare you, people? Don't no, a know your place. B don't you know that your job is to listen to the media, not be citizen media. Yeah. And how dare you honk your horn to us? Sure. Yeah. We have locked you in your homes for two years, and now we're banning you from cross-border travel, which is necessary for the truckers. By the way, we saw a minute ago Justin Trudeau lying about 80% vaccinations. I thought he said it was 90%. He's changing his numbers now. But we know that Christia Freeland, in her notes, said with truckers it was less than 50%. So they're lying. They're lying to you to try and make you feel like everyone's on board with this. Oh, how dare you honk your horn? You honk your horn at me? I mean, I locked you in your house. I banned you from cross-border travel. I banned you from taking airplanes or trains or boats in the second largest country in the world. I banned you from the public square. I banned you from restaurants, gyms, and stores. But how dare you honk your horn, sir? Do you not know who I am, sir? I am Zexy Lee. Was Zexy Lee? What, who are you? Well, I'm a 23-year-old who works for the government. And I didn't like the honking. Not one bit, sir. Yeah. Okay, well, better throw the whole country into martial law because Zexy Lee heard a horn honk. Yeah. She heard a horn yeah. honk, people. Where's your sense of compassion? Yeah, you know, the, that line of classism and bigotry runs through all of this. They want those Westerners that came to their fancy city to just stay away. They didn't like their trucks. They didn't want to have to look at their trucks or the things that the blue-collar people do for fun, like have street parties, play hockey, and have hot tubs. That grossed them out. What a boring city. But also, uh, we saw in testimony, and then it was supported in some documents that Blacklocks published today, that they were really worried about having useful people within the convoy. And what I mean by that is they were frightened at the sheer number of CAF, Canadian Armed Forces, active members and former members that were in the convoy. They were sort of worried about this insurrection, which seems like absolute bigotry, assuming that because you were in the CAF, you're inherently um, violent by nature. But they couldn't get their heads around the fact that these people who are willing to fight and die in a uniform with our flag on it would go to Ottawa to defend freedom here. Yeah, you know what? Um, if you If you compare the hatred and fear that Trudeau had for our veterans with how he describes the people our veterans were fighting. I, if you, how Trudeau oh. talks about ISIS terrorists coming back to Canada. Mary, so much. Sorry, Ezra, to interrupt you. Mary Montsef, the now former MP for Peterborough, she described them as her brothers, the Taliban. Remember, yeah. they were her brothers. Yeah. But our veterans are potential insurrectionists. Give me a break. Yeah. Um, you know, they despise the military except for as a PR. I was just looking today. I mean, Trudeau was announcing billions more for foreign militaries in the Indo-Pacific. He can't just, he can't do a foreign trip without spraying our money around. Uh, he's given who knows how much to the Ukrainian army. But when it comes to Canadian soldiers, um, they're asking for more than he can give. Um, it, it really is an eye opener. I, um, there was, I think my, if I had to name my favorite moment or least favorite moment in the, in the whole commission of inquiry, uh, it's clip number seven. And this, Trudeau does this sometimes when he's had too much to, to think and by himself without, I mean, he's used to having a script writer around. I mean, he's a, he's an actor. I mean, sometimes we think that actors are the personality they play in a movie, 
forgetting that no actors just read a script. I mean, occasionally some brilliant actors might ad lib, especially comedians. They might ad lib. Some great movies are done that way, but um, generally actors are, uh, as Hitchcock said, like cattle, and they just do exactly what they're told, which is why, you know, the editor and the the script writer and the producer are so important. Um, Trudeau is like that. Yes. Gerald Butts writes a script for him. Katie Telford writes a script for him. He's very good at memorizing a few lines. Um, but whenever he, ha- but if you could ever get him to think about something new he hasn't been briefed on, then he so- says something really dumb. Like, remember that question, I guess it was eight years ago now, what country do you most admire? There was no way he had ever been asked that before in a formal setting. So he actually thought about it and said, well, China because of their basic dictatorship verbatim that's what he said so there's an actor free freelancing without a script and that same thing happened this is clip number seven when he started thinking in a way that had not been gamed out by his handlers and he says and he starts thinking yeah well maybe maybe you shouldn't really be allowed to protest if if you're trying to change the world this is and then and then he says did oh and then there's a little an alarm clock that went off in his head. Ring, 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 ring. You stepped in it. You stepped in it. Alert, alert, alert. Or maybe, who knows, maybe he actually yep. had an earpiece in it. And he started walked it back like he did with the original China quote. Here, take a look at clip number seven. But in terms of uh, responding to their demands uh, or, or legitimizing them by engaging, I'm highlighting that I'm worried about setting a precedent uh, that a blockade on Wellington Street can, can lead to changing public policy. People need to be heard, uh, but we need to get that balance right. Uh, and then uh, she agreed that I need to be cautious and I don't want to set any bad precedents. Okay, so fairly self-explanatory. There's there's a, a willingness to to discuss, but you, you were concerned about setting a precedent where uh, a blockade could equal a, a, a change in public policy. Is that fair? Yeah, uh, I think we, we have... Uh, a robust functioning democracy and uh, protests, public protests are an important part of making sure we're getting messages out there and Canadians are getting messages out there and highlighting how they feel about various issues. Uh, But using protests to demand uh, changes to public policy um, is something that that I think is is worrisome. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Although, sorry, to a certain extent. No, no, extent, please go on. You know, protests, if you're out protesting that the government is, you know, shutting down a, a safe injection site or something, you are asking for changes in, in public policy. But there is a difference between uh, occupations uh, and, and, you know, saying we're not going until this has changed uh, in a way that is massively disruptive. Uh, and potentially dangerous uh, versus just saying, yeah, we're protesting because we want uh, we want public policy to change and we're trying to convince people to get enough of them that politicians will listen to enough people saying, okay, uh, I'm going to lose votes if I don't change this. Uh, that's the usual way uh, protests uh, uh, can be effective in, in our democracies. I don't think I've ever seen Justin Trudeau condemn a protest from the left that's being disruptive. Black Lives Matter, I Don't Know More, The Tamil Tigers, Greenpeace and other eco-radicals against forestry, against um, the seal hunt, against pipelines, against LNG. 
I don't think I've ever in my entire life seen Justin Trudeau speak out against a left-wing protest, disruptive or not, shutting down the railroads in this country. In fact, they literally sent negotiators to negotiate with the Wet'suwet'en um, false tribal leaders, not the real ones. Mm -hmm. um, there is no protest on the left that Trudeau won't bend the knee to. And he realizes that he sort of stepped in it there where he says, right. oh, you know, if you're, if you're protesting to change public policy and then something said, oh, but we do that too. And he tried to draw a distinction. They tried to mop it up later, didn't he? Yeah, but he made it worse because then he hinted that it's not just all protests that try to change public policy that are the problem. It's just your protests that try to change public policy that are the problem. He said it's perfectly fine to protest the closing of a safe injection site where people poison themselves into a slow death. But it, he used a word occupation there. He said an occupation is not acceptable. Now, I don't know about you, Ezra, but I am old enough to remember when he met with Chief Chicken Noodle, Teresa Spence, who was occupying a park in Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, and she right. was lobbying to change public policy. In fact, she was lobbying for an end to a law that would have brought accountability to her reserve that she was driving into the ground between her and her sticky fingered boyfriend at the time. Um, and he met with her. He went into the occupation site, went right. inside of her teepee. Right. And I don't know if they ate chicken noodle soup together or what went on in there, but he made it a, and he invited the media right. to join him when he went to meet with her. And he basically said, why isn't Stephen Harper meeting with her? And and she was running her reserve out of Wapiscat into the ground. There's McLean's. There he is with Chief Teresa Spence. I forget the park that she was in in Ottawa. But again, this goes over to the point that actually that buffoon was making himself. That some occupations and protests are fine and some mm -hmm. aren't. And we're not allowed to have them, but he is. Yeah. You know, it's funny, as Ava was saying a moment ago, um, it's like we're watching two different movies. I mean, the, the regime yeah. media, who we learned through this trucker inquiry, were being managed on a daily basis by the government. Um, oh, I'll, I'll talk to this reporter. She's really receptive. I'll talk to that reporter. Like, you, we need to get this reporter to use the word neo-Nazi. Like, you, you, could see the, you could see the orchestration of it. As I said, if there was a real national emergency, you wouldn't need to spin the media on it. For the FLQ crisis, which I acknowledge was an emergency 50-odd years ago, they were blowing up, they were, they were detonating bombs. They were yep. kidnapping people. They were, they were murdering. There was murder. Murder, kidnapping. Um, there, there really was, the FLQ really was connected to Cuba. Like there was a foreign meddler. It was trying to cause a literal insurrection in the province of Quebec to destroy the sovereignty of the Canadian government. There actually was. Um, now, sure. I think that the deployment of martial law was overbroad, overlong. Uh, Trudeau Sr., his RCMP took advantage, arrested hundreds of people who had nothing to do with it other than they were political enemies of Pierre Trudeau. Uh, the RCMP famously burned down barns of Trudeau's political opponents in Quebec. So even back then, the martial law was absolutely abused by Pierre Trudeau. And I'm sure that's how Justin Trudeau learned, that you can really get away with anything as long as you don't blink. Just don't blink. Just have your confidence, and the other side will huff and puff, and you got a house of bricks. They won't blow it down. I think Justin Trudeau learned from Pierre Trudeau that you can violate civil liberties and call yourself a liberal, and the media won't care. If they didn't care 52 years ago, 
when the only government media was the CBC, they're certainly not going to care today when all the media is on the government payroll. Well, and that is the reason the Emergencies Act was re rewritten from being the War Measures Act is because there was an acknowledgement that it was overbroad. It was used to attack political enemies instead of enemies of the state. And yet still, even after all that, even after that law had to be rewritten by the actions of his father, Justin Trudeau comes along and abuses the Emergencies Act against his peaceful opponents. And, uh, you know, the, the idea that these people were even remotely insurrectionist. As Keith Wilson, lawyer for the convoy, pointed out, it's a hell of an insurrection when they don't even break a window hmm. on the way out. You know, not even a window was broken in Ottawa. When every time that the convoy was met with violence at the hands of the state, and that's one thing Eva pointed out, and I thought it was very, very poignant in her closing statement, where she said, at every opportunity, the government chose state force, state violence instead of engagement. And that was an active choice every step of the way. But every time the government chose force the convoy didn't choose force right. when they were beaten with clubs they never reacted and every step of the way the cops in the city of ottawa and akuts were overwhelmed yeah. if those truckers and convoyers wanted to take the city of ottawa it was full of angry useful people and they could have done it but they yeah. never did we saw how they peacefully ran off the rcmp and coots yeah. They sang to them and they ran away. Yeah. These were not violent insurrectionists. Yeah. And shame on the regime media for painting that, them that way without a shred of evidence to the contrary. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, w I was down there on Parliament Hill and the center block of Parliament, that's the, that's the most famous one with the big peace tower that's right on the lawn. Um, it was under renovations and there was sort of a, an eight foot high wooden fence, the kind of thing you see around a construction site. Sure. Um, no one even touched it. Like you could have pushed that fence over and broken through and stormed into the building, I presume, if you tried. If you had a thousand people, if you had a hundred people, maybe if you had 20 people who were dedicated, but no one even touched the wooden wall. They didn't even touch right. it. Right. And these and, are the kind of people who do things with their back and their hands for a living. They could take down a wall. Like yeah. That. Like it's it, when I say wall, it was just like, you, you know, around a construction yeah. site, they put up a, yeah. a, a fence with, you know, some two by fours sure. and some plywood. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't yeah. a riot wall. It was a don't step here because you can get hurt. It's a construction zone wall. Right. No one even touched that wall. So the yeah. idea that they, they were like, I saw pictures of Ray Epps, the FBI informant, whipping up people to storm into Congress and, you know, uh, as a conservative and a pro-Trump conservative, I acknowledge that they did enter into the actual buildings of Congress. I also know that the police opened the doors and welcomed them in, and yep. uh, there was a lot of funny business. But I, I cannot dispute that they physically went into the Congress itself. They never even entered a building in Ottawa. They never even tried to. Like, like you say, there was no window that was sp smashed. There was no unlocked door that was open nothing they were content to be in their trucks and on the street well sheila i'm so glad you you helped us uh, anchor our coverage on this for the past month i appreciate that and you spent some of the time in ottawa but you like i say this was a very citizen friendly project last question to you what was what was your impression of the airbnb pop-up studio because we crowdfunded that we haven't received the final bill yet so for those who want to help out, not just for the Airbnb, cost us about 15 grand for the Airbnb. And then we were constantly flying journalists in to the Airbnb from 
uh, they, they usually drive from Toronto, but we flew in some folks from Calgary and elsewhere. So our, our total bill, I haven't seen it yet. It wouldn't surprise me if our total bill for that pop-up studio for the month was $30,000. So we, we made a big investment in it. What was, how was it? I mean, just being in that house with the pop-up studio and the guys i it, it had a tiny bit of a fraternity feeling not in that it was yeah. parties but you got a bunch of guys away from home having fun working together um what was it like when you were there i thought it was great um you know it, it it's modest it's very modest that's how we roll around here but you know it was great to have a fixed location where we could bring the lawyers to help us analyze right. what happened that day and it was someplace warm instead of working out on the street which is new for our team that right. works in Ottawa. Right. Um, so that was great. But it was also, as you say, a place where, you know, it was collegial. You know, you're working late, you're leaving early. When I was there, Celine and I were out of the Airbnb like before eight. Um, but it was a place where you could save some money, grab a coffee. You know, if you're working late, there was a little bit of food in the fridge um, instead of having to constantly eat out. So I think it was it was a great way to help our team feel a little bit like they were at home while they were gone for so long. Yeah, you know, I was there in, in, in January, February. It was so bitter cold. Part of mm -hmm. my thinking was, I don't know how cold it's going to be. It wasn't that bad. But just to get out of the cold, just to warm your hands and feet up a bit. Uh, and, and, of course, batteries, cell phone batteries and camera mm -hmm. batteries don't work as well when it's minus 20. So luckily it wasn't that brutal. But, boy, I wish we had that Airbnb back during the convoy itself. So, well, Sheila, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks for uh, participating so uh, deeply in the project over the last month. We're going to take a very quick commercial break and then we're going to come back with Celine Glass who started her work with Rebel News in the convoy. She was embedded in the convoy as it made its way from Calgary to Ottawa and she's been in Ottawa for weeks covering it there. When we come back, we'll talk to Celine Glass. Well, very exciting. I tell you, the trucker convoy was what finally broke the fever of the lockdowns in this country, broke the groupthink showed that not everyone was being compliant, and Celine Glass was there from the beginning. Celine, great to see you again. You're back in Alberta, but you spent a lot of time in our pop-up studio, that's what I'm calling it, in Ottawa. Just uh, It was very close to the, to the hearing. Like It really was like a three-minute walk or something. Mm -hmm. I think that really made it useful, so you didn't have to take an Uber, you didn't have to take a cab, and it wasn't brutally cold, so I, I thought it was really convenient. It was also convenient the other way around for lawyers and others and witnesses from the commission required just to walk to our little Airbnb. I thought it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I did too. I think it was fantastic. Yeah, the, the back and forth commute was super short, um, especially for those early days getting to the commission. And as you said, it made it very convenient. Uh, a lot of the lawyers that we had, the, the Freedom Corp organizers, um, as well as, I guess, um, yeah, we have like Andrew Lawton on there too. So mm -hmm. any of our friends that we talked to, they were all really, really close to it, which worked out perfectly. So Yeah, and the fact that it was sort of obviously in, in the kitchen, I don't think anyone minds. I mean, everyone has conversations in the <laughs> kitchen. I thought it, I had a homemade kind of feel to it. Uh, so how long were you there all together? Um, I believe I was there for 22 days straight. 22 well, or 23 great. days, yeah. I don't know if you had a chance to see any of the city, uh, while you were out there, I mean that that commission was pretty intense. It, it worked some weekend days too, didn't it? Oh, it did for sure, and it's also post production as well, right? So wrapping up those reports, making sure that we're planned for the week ahead, the daily content, etc. So yeah, yeah, there wasn't a lot uh, of downtime. And I, by the way, I give the judge some credit. Everyone's piling on him. He he had a 
a very difficult job. Imagine herding all those cats. Everyone has their own lawyer. Everyone's, a, you know, and all under a very intense time pressure. From what I saw, I mean, I didn't watch it as intensely as you did, but from what I saw, I'm going to give the judge certainly the benefit of the doubt. I mean, um, I thought he, he certainly tried to, to be even-handed. That's how I felt. I know there were some moments that it didn't quite seem that way. Uh, I want to play for you just a couple of clips and get your reaction. Um, here's a funny one. I know you're from Alberta like I am originally. Clip number five. You know, Jason Kenney, who used to be a really close friend of mine and used to be the, one of the leading freedom politicians in this country, he, he really fell down on this one. And um, he started talking like Trudeau. You know, he was calling the truckers crazies or conspiracy theorists. He was using Trudeau's Ottawa language in Alberta. It just sounded not just hollow. It sounded like a kind of mutiny against Albertans. It was sort of crazy. Clip number five, that is. I think I'm going to miss it. Clip number five um, has Kenny uh, reportedly describing the Alberta truckers, many of whom I've met, and they're the most straight-up guys you'll ever see. Play clip five. I'd like your reaction to this, Lee. Oldened or digging in uh, to their... Uh, illegal behaviors and that enforcement of public order uh, is actually a threat. And this is actually something that uh, Jason Kenney brought up uh, at the FMM, uh, highlighting that these are not rational actors. There are conspiracy theories. And he was concerned, as we were, that the invocation of the Emergencies Act uh, could uh, have people who are irrational overreact, but at the same time, um, we had to balance that risk against the risk that uh, people who uh, were already starting to get fed up and engage in, in counter-protests uh, would start taking more and more into their own hands, which was a greater risk, I think. You know, uh, Jason Kenney had decided that these people were the bad guys, and, uh, and I'm sure he, he believed that. I think he was surrounded uh, with people who were sort of in a bunker mentality at that point. Mm -hmm. He wasn't getting outside opinions. It was like the palace guard uh, in, you know, cut off from the world. And they were probably relying on official. I don't know. I just, I just thought it was a, uh, it was sad to see a freedom fighter like Jason Kenney become really Trudeau's man in Canada. What do you think? I totally agree with you. I think it's always really harsh. Um, it's a harsh reality to come to when you see that there's somebody that has the potential to really stand up for people that like has those traits in the beginning. Um, it was like the first time when, when we saw on video that he, you know, denounced the vaccine passport and he didn't even know what it was allegedly. And then, you know, what happened in Alberta, the same as everywhere else in Canada. So I think that he could have been our greatest opportunity looking back to have a different reality when it came to how the, the Albertan government um, handled the lockdown restrictions and mandates. But gosh, listening to Trudeau again, I, <laughs> I'm not fully out of the Ottawa mindscape. I feel like I have hives after listening to Trudeau talk again, but uh, it's harsh. Yeah. It's really harsh. And, and I kind of think, I mean, Trudeau is kind of just throwing him under the bus as well. <laughs> like I kind of feel bad, you know, like just, I, I know that he touched on a lot of other people's testimonies, but I, I dare say I don't think that it was as brutal or harsh as that. And regardless of what Jason Kenney did, it's probably because Trudeau knows he's, he's from Alberta. Yeah. So why not, right? Just salt to wound, a little bit of extra pain. Hmm. Alberta could have been the Florida of Canada. could have been, especially since mm -hmm. healthcare is so um, clearly a provincial jurisdiction, 
under the Canadian Constitution, Section 92, it really is up to Alberta. And for whatever reason, and I think it's because Jason Kenney always had his eye on returning to Ottawa as prime minister. So he didn't want to be mm -hmm. too province oriented, too. He didn't. He was worried that in the future that would make him look too small time and too partisan and not national in grandeur enough. And he mm -hmm. missed the opportunity. Well, listen, Celine, it's great to see you. Thanks again for uh, serving such a big tour of duty away from home. We're going to play a very quick ad. And when we come back, we'll have your colleague, our Montreal based reporter, Alexa Lavoie. So, Celine will say thanks now and we'll sign off. And folks, don't go away because after this ad, we'll have Alexa. Now, Alexa, great to see you. And you were on my mind during the Commission of Inquiry because for all the talk of the potential violence of the truckers, there was no violence from the truckers. There, there was no shooting. There was no smashing. There was no rioting. But there was a person who was shot. And it was you. You were shot with a riot gun. You were hit by riot police. And so the violence came from the government side. And as you know, we're suing the government. People who don't know what I'm referring to can go to standwithalexa.com. In fact, I just want to show a brief clip of that. And I'm sorry, you probably hate to see it. And I hate to look at it. But we can't forget it. We can't let it be swept under the rug. We can't let Trudeau gaslight us, if you know what I mean. Here's a clip of that terrible moment. And I'll come back and I'll share some quick thoughts with people and then I'll bring you in, Alexis. Great to see you. Here's, here's a clip of that terrible day and I'm sorry to show this because it was a, an atrocity that was done to you, but people have to see it. Take a look. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Hold him. Stop Just atrocious. You were shot, you were hit, and you were shot with a kind of anti riot weapon in your leg at point blank range. I'm very sorry that happened to you. As you know, we're suing the police, and we've discovered that the police knew who you were. We discovered from the police notes they knew who you were, they knew your name. And one other thing we discovered is that the police that day were helping a lot of people with medical issues, people, a heart attack someone who slipped and fell, someone who had hypothermia. Police shot you. They obviously knew that they shot you. And they did not offer you any help, did they? No, no. So I, I collapsed just like a couple of minutes after. And uh, no one came to me. Only protester came. A former nurse who lost her job actually took care of me. And uh, I remember another man that was there. They washed my face with water because I was full of, um, I think it was 
cayenne pepper or something that was burning my face and and my body and my skin. And I remember I had it in my mouth, in my eyes. And it's why I was like crying as much, but I saw because I was hurt. Um, but thanks to these two and all beautiful people who actually helped me out because probably without them, I would be like in the snow um, alone. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I have to say that in the nearly eight years of Rebel News being a company, that was the worst moment in our entire company's history. That was the worst thing that ever happened to us, the worst thing anyone had ever done to us. David Menzies was roughed up pretty badly by Trudeau's bodyguards a few months earlier, but to actually be shot and beaten, and for the police, they knew, the reason I say they knew who you were is because we have, we are suing them, and in the course of that lawsuit, we have received their, their notes, and they knew exactly who you were, and there were thousands of people protesters, journalists, observers in the streets. And there were thousands of police. And the coincidence that you were the only one shot, I do not believe that's a coincidence. Like I say, they knew who you were. And then once they committed the atrocity of shooting you, they committed a second atrocity of literally not helping. Like I said, they helped other people all day. We see that in their notes. But they refused to help you. And we are seeking justice for people who want to be involved in that. They can go to standwithalexa.com. I'm sorry to mention that. It's just been on my mind, especially since clip number six. Alexa, I'd like your reaction to this. This is a clip of Trudeau saying he had to invoke martial law because what if some little old lady got hurt? And all I could think about was the police horses stomping on that little old lady and the police roughing up that short old man, and the police shooting you, and Trudeau's making it like he was the one standing against violence. All the violence in Ottawa came from the government. All the violence came from them. Here, take a look at this clip of Trudeau. When there's a national emergency and serious threats of violence to Canadians, and you have a tool that you should use, how would I explain it to the family of a police officer who was killed or a, a, a grandmother who got run over stopping, trying to stop a truck or, uh, or a, a protester who was killed uh, if I hadn't used the tools, if uh, one of the protesters, uh, one of the occupiers had been, uh, had been killed uh, in uh, a violent clash with someone else? Um, getting this situation under control and protecting the safety of all Canadians a priority. What a sociopathic liar. There were no serious threats of violence. We know that because none were made and all the police forces confirm that. The threats of someone being killed, how would that possibly happen if the only violence came from the government? Uh, a grandmother trying to stop a truck from running over her. I don't even understand that weird hypothetical situation. How about a grandmother being stomped on by an RCMP horse for no reason at all? Just absolutely outrageous. How did it feel when you saw that prince of lies take the witness stand? Well, first of all, use uh, speculation for make the situation worse than it was. Mm -hmm. Just trying to create in the mind of people like that. Maybe this will have happened if I uh, didn't have like invoked the emergencies act. But the only thing that I was thinking when he was talking is like, can this Sarah was in this 
the audience watching him saying that in her face when she was trampled by a horse and the SIU dropped the case on her because her injury was not enough severe to continue the investigation on her. The SIU, that's a really kind of sorry. internal affairs. That's that's the special investigations unit. Whenever police are violent against someone, they come and investigate. You're saying the SIU mm -hmm. dropped the case against the police who stomped on her because her injuries weren't that bad. That's what you, you said Eight. there, right? Outrageous. Sorry, I interrupted you. I just want to explain to people what <laughs> SIU was. Keep going, Alexa. So I, I had a, a talk and I have like a, a, a interview with her that's coming up on on how she had been so far and I saw her she was she she was crying about like she she's still hurt she's hurt by also what the government did and uh, she lost a lot of faith and uh, it was really sad to see uh, this and the hypocrisy of Justin Trudeau testimony uh, all day long but I was also surprised that Usually, you know, it takes so much time to answer the question, but I was surprised how fast he was answering the question that day and uh, that he answered actually really mostly truthful for some of the question. Huh. I think, I think um, what was irritating to me was he showed what was in his mind. His, <laughs> his, you could sum up every one of his answers was, I think very low. I have a low opinion of Canadians. I'm afraid of Canadians. I'm scared of them. And I thought it was best to be as, as uh, firm as possible with them. So when he says, I was afraid of um, a grandmother being driven over by a truck, that's an absurd thing to say. So is that true or false? Well, he, I think if it's true, it shows what he thinks of us. It shows what mm -hmm. he thinks of the peaceful protesters. Um, violent protesters <laughs> fighting with each other there, there was no violence amongst the protesters but but he thinks oh they're they're truck drivers of course they're violent they're just a bunch of drunk yobs and 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 especially when he said i never called him vaccinated names yeah and i was lie. like this is such a lie because we have so much proof of so many excerpts of video where we saw him calling unvaccinated names. Yeah. What? Well, should we tolerate them? They're racist, misogynist, the things yeah. he said. Well, Alexa, thank yeah. you for covering this. And I'm so <laughs> glad. And again, uh, you really shined during the convoy itself, especially you allowed us to talk to the Quebec truckers because, of course, Ottawa is just across the river from Quebec. So there were a lot of Quebec truckers there and some of them didn't speak English so you were able to talk with them and it was very encouraging for me as a English Canadian originally from the west to see that Quebec truckers French speaking truckers were they cared about freedom too I really was grateful for that so thank you not only for your coverage during the last month of the trucker commission but for your original work with the trucker convoy itself great to see you my friend great to see you too thank you Hey, welcome back. Your letters to me. Here's one that says, hello, Ezra. Sean Smith here from Lethbridge. Just a short note to say it was a pleasure meeting you and to offer big congratulations for bringing together such excellent and wonderful speakers. 
listening to them and meeting with some of them was enlightening. They were all good, decent, and more than likable human beings. Appreciate your work. Cheers. You're from Lethbridge. You're talking about our Calgary Rebel News Live meetup, which was on Saturday. It was great. We had some outstanding speakers from Alberta, but we also had, for example, Premier Brian Peckford, who came in from Vancouver Island. Conrad Black gave a speech about the history of Canadian civil liberties. Dr. Roger Hodkinson, of course, the freedom-fighting doctor. I don't know, there were about 15 speakers. It was wonderful. I'm glad you were there. Next letter is from AlphaSet, who says... I wish people would stop calling the truckers' convoy a conservative protest. While the truckers were protesting the border jab mandates, people from all walks of life assembled in an attempt to tell their government they had enough of all the health measures. It was not a liberal or conservative anything. The liberal policies were certainly the reason for the protest, but the conservatives did virtually nothing to push back on them. This was an organic movement of Canadians that wanted their damn freedom back. End of story. Conservatives cannot take much credit for this one. First of all, you're exactly right. In fact, remember, Aaron O'Toole, who was the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada at the time, stopped his MPs from meeting with the truckers. In fact, it was the reason they threw him out. But I think when people say conservative, they're referring to the small C conservative ideology as opposed to the big C conservative party. But even there, I think you're right. I've met people over the last year who are not conservative. They're green-oriented, natural health. They don't believe in over drugging people. So they've been uh, in support of the truckers. There are people who say, my body, my choice. Typically, people like that might vote for the Liberal Party. But how come the Liberals didn't support my body, my choice when it came to jabs? NDP members who were in the labor movement couldn't believe they were sold out by their union bosses, not grieving this change in their collective agreements. And of course, the conservatives, well, if only their conservative leadership went along with this too. My point to you is you are exactly right. I use words like freedom and privacy and personal autonomy and sovereignty. There were conservatives there, but not a lot of conservative party members at first. On Trudeau's testimony, Billy98 says there is no way he can apologize. He just doubles down. He is so conceited. Conceited is part of it. Yeah, it's a personality thing. But I think he truly has a tyrant's blood in him. Uh, he, He got some of that honestly from his father. But look at who he says he admires. Some people say they admire JFK. Some people say they admire George Washington or or Abe Lincoln. You don't have to choose American names. You can say you admire John A. MacDonald. Um, There are some Canadian heroes. You can say you admire some European figures. But who does Justin Trudeau say he admires? Well, the two names that come to mind incredibly are, number one, China. He literally says it's the country he most admires. And number two, you'll recall when Fidel Castro died, Trudeau gave a shockingly exuberant eulogy to that mass murderer, so much so that American senators put up press releases denouncing it. So why are you siding with siding with Castro? So yeah, I think that Justin Trudeau isn't just a sociopathic liar. I think he really is a tyrant who's figured out that he can win in a democratic system, but rule like he's a bit of a dictator. Remember, democracy is not just one day every four years punctuated by authoritarianism. That's not democracy. But for Trudeau, it is. That's why he disrespects any legal limits on him. That's why he laughs when the conflict of interest uh, commissioner rules against him. That's why he laughs when the federal, court of, the federal Court of Canada grants Rebel News the right to be accredited at leaders' debates. He laughs because he truly doesn't believe in the checks and balances of a modern democracy.
That's why I watched The Badass. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.